97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. This is Dr. Steve Harvey. This is the Ion Health Show 97.1. It's a beautiful day outside, and we've got a wonderful guest. We have Dr. Ed Weisbart, who I'm going to introduce in just a little bit. And we have Carl running the board. Uh, say hi, guys. Hello, hi everybody. Oh, hey, hey. Yeah, all right. And hey, we're going to have a good show today. And today, today, we're going to talk about health care. We're going to talk about health care. And I think um, one thing that's made the discussion of health care so difficult is all the partisan blah, blah, blah that surrounds health care, which I think, uh, just in my opinion, has kind of squished any intelligent discussion of health care and most of the discussion ends up being, you know, slogans that people see on uh, Facebook memes or what you see on uh, uh, bumper stickers or whatever. So we are actually going to have a uh, a non-stupid discussion of healthcare. Isn't that gone, exciting? Now you've gone too far. <laughs> now I've gone too far, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I think we can actually pull this off. We're actually going to pull this off. So I think one thing people agree on is is I think most people agree that we want everybody to have access to decent health care in this country. I think most people agree with that. And I think everybody agrees that whatever health care we have, it would be nice if it was good quality and if it cost less. I think that's no controversy there. I don't think I've said anything controversial so far. So we want less expensive health care. We want good health care. And and this is just my opinion. Hope hope no one gets upset by this. But in my opinion, I think that a poor person should be able to see a doctor. That's little little out there. Hope that's okay if I say that. But uh, we we want we want everybody to be able to get access to to decent health care. So um, one specific proposal that's out there is uh, is Medicare for all. Uh, Medicare for all again is is kind of. Uh, has been kind of a hot-button, controversial topic. And I think it's a topic that you don't really hear any intelligent discussion of it from either side. You know, from, from one side you hear, you know, oh, we all have a right to health care. This is going to cure everything. And from the other side, from the other side you hear Venezuela or, or whatever, you know. So, uh, but we're going to have an actual talk about it. So uh, we have here Dr. Ed Weisbart. Uh, Dr. Weisbart, just a quick introduction here. Let me see if I remember, fill in the gaps if I forget all this stuff. So so Dr. Weisbart uh, is a family practice physician, uh, was formerly chief medical officer at uh, Express Scripts, has had a lot of corporate, uh, has had a lot of corporate responsibilities, and uh, among many other things is now the president of the Missouri chapter of the Physicians for a National Health Plan. So, uh, so the guest we have here today is somebody who is in favor of Medicare for all, and he's going to explain how come, and I will be here to ask all the tough questions. So for, just to start out with Dr. Weisbart, I know this is a gigantic topic, uh, so can you, can you tell us, can you kind of summarize uh, what, what is this Medicare for all plan and how, how would it work if we actually did this? Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. And thanks for having me on. You bet. So I agree that this is sounds like a complicated field, but it's really not. Actually, we're talking about a, frankly, a pretty simple idea. We're saying take Medicare and mm-hmm. we all know Medicare is imperfect. So take Medicare and improve it in some ways we can talk mm-hmm. about. So improve Medicare mm-hmm. and then give that to everybody in the country. Improving it means 
get rid of the copays, get rid of the deductibles, uh, move away from the premiums. It means add in dentistry, add in eyeglasses, add in hearing aids, so that seniors who have Medicare uh, to today and often don't have any coverage for eyeglasses or hearing aids or, or dentistry would have included in their Medicare all of those things. So take mm-hmm. Medicare, improve it, because it needs mm-hmm. to be improved, and then give that to everyone in the country. Turns out it's mm-hmm. actually less expensive to do that than it is to keep going down the same road where we're keeping people away from going to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we'll be talking about that more after a while. So I guess I guess one, one feature of this program is it's using something that we already have, and instead of, in, instead of reinventing the wheel or starting something brand new, we'd be just taking what we already have and beefing it up some. Right. Medicare has been around for more than 50 years. And in those 50 years, although it's imperfect, we've seen that Medicare rescues seniors from poverty. Mm-hmm. We've seen Medicare actually extends the lives of seniors. So Medic- and most seniors love Medicare, particularly the improved form of Medicare. So most seniors mm-hmm. actually find a way to improve it on their own by adding in a supplement or a wrap or perhaps going to an advantage plan in some ways. So most seniors have on their own figured out a way to make the improvements. We're saying every senior, and frankly everyone, needs Medicare with those improvements that seniors have sorted out often on their own. Yeah. So, so with this plan, basically everybody, I guess from birth, from birth until death, everyone will have Medicare, but it'll be a different Medicare, an improved version of Medicare. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Paid for by... By taxes. Taxes, it, yes. it turns out that we spend more keeping people away from the doctor by having all the barriers right. we put in. <laughs> yes. That, that consumes 34% of what we spend on health care. Uh, more than a third of what we spend on health care is designed to get in the way of health care. So if we did yes. a little bit less of that, we could right. easily afford to take care of, of the rest of the country that we exclude from health care. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think as far as... You know, I, I think one one topic that we could pretty much spend all day on is the the problems with the system as it currently works. So I guess with with this system, the uh, with Medicare for all, the private insurance companies that cover people's health care, we're, we're basically making them go away. We would be because there wouldn't be a niche for them. The only way to keep a real niche for the private insurance companies is if we make Medicare for all poorly. If we yeah. don't cover certain things, if we exclude certain things, if we don't pay for whatever, then there would be a niche for the private insurance industry. So mm-hmm. we could create a niche for the private insurance industry by making a bad version of Medicare, but why would right. we do that? Let's make a good version of Medicare, and then there's no reason that you would need the private insurance industry to confuse us. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think a lot of physicians would agree that the private insurance is arguably a large part of the current problem. I Boy, I could go on all day about that one. Well, the problem is that we doctors have to go on and on all day about it. We spend probably roughly half of our time interfacing with the insurance industry one way or another. True. Our chart notes are twice as, are four times as long as other countries. Our progress notes are. We spend almost a hundred thousand dollars on staff dealing with the private insurance industry. Right. Hospitals have incredible numbers of people who just deal with the insurance industry. So, yes. yeah, we can go on and on about that. We, we can. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple, and t- t- tell me if I remember this right, Dr. Uh, Ed. So I think I remember hearing that uh, for hospitals, for example, that typically a hospital will have 
a staff person who interacts with the insurance industry. They'll have one of those people for every occupied hospital bed. Is that That's actually true? We have yeah. nine hundred thousand hospital beds across the United States. Uh-huh. Nine hundred thousand. Yeah. And Bureau of Labor Statistics says that we have roughly nine hundred thousand people working in hospitals only in the billing and insurance functions. So some Which hospitals actually have more than one. Duke University has, I think, nine hundred and fifty hospital beds and sixteen hundred insurance people. Wow. And in Canada, Toronto General has also 950 hospital beds and has 12 people. 12, right. So we have a whole industry here uh, that is only designed to hide the cost Mm -hmm. of the insurance industry. The insurance companies have a 10 to 18 percent overhead, but that hides the real cost, which is how so many people have these jobs propping up the insurance industry outside of working there. Yeah, yeah. So if you can imagine when you're in the hospital, you can kind of imagine there's a a full-time billing and collections person. Just imagine them there in the room with you. You have to pay them full-time just to deal with the insurance industry while you're in the hospital. Right. You can't do that with nurses, right? Yeah. Nurses have much, you know, there's not a one-to-one ratio for nurses or doctors or right. or anybody else. But yeah, the average hospital, on average, some yeah. more, some fewer, but on average, hospitals in the United States could put someone full-time at the foot of every hospital bed from the billing department. Wow, wow. And imagine if you could fire that person and have a nurse instead. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say you know? fire. I would say oh, there's yes. all sorts of other work we need them to do. Absolutely. It's actually more productive and contributes to healthcare, and they'd probably enjoy more. Um, so there is work for them, yes. but just not this kind of work. This kind of work is crazy. It, 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 yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that, that's a lot to think about. So uh, well, we're going to continue this discussion uh, in just a moment. And uh, we want to thank uh, Dr. Weisbart for being here. And we'll talk more about uh, the Medicare for All proposal. And we'll be back. 97.1, this is the Eye on Health Show. Uh, We're talking about proposals for health care reform. And something that that always comes up is I think that's considered a very, very partisan topic these days. Uh, Long long gone are the times when I'm, I'm... it's a little bit before my time, but in the 1970s, Richard Nixon tried to get us universal health care, and but now now it's considered very uh, very partisan, and it's not not really thought of as a bipartisan issue. But I think it it should be a bipartisan issue. I think everybody should say we want better health care, we want more affordable health care. But uh, we 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 did we did get a very good caller who uh, who called in during commercial break, and. Um, I spoke to Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 Carl spoke to Gary. So, 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 speak, speak for Gary. Gary was not able Gary, to stay Gary on the line. Gary couldn't hang on the line. Yeah. So, Gary wanted to know, doctors, uh, yeah. uh, what you guys have been proposing sounds like it's going to just raise the costs, but not necessarily lower the costs of health care, nor he didn't hear any benefits of Medicare for all. And that's a good question because I think a lot of people are going to be wondering that. So, so, Ed. What, sure. what do you think? Well, we should do these one at a time. Right in terms of the cost, um, there have been now, I believe the number is 30 uh, studies by different economists around the country uh, who have come out and studied this question and have concluded that actually Medicare for all would either cost the same as our current trajectory or save us a lot. So um, there are really no, in my mind, credible studies that, that don't agree with that. The, to me, the economics of the affordability of Medicare for all is as resolved as the science around uh, climate change or around the round earth. 
we, we don't have a flat earth, and uh, there are probably some out there who think we do, but the economics around this have been hundreds of economists have said that we have to do this because we can absolutely afford to, and that what we can't afford is the current trajectory. So in terms of the overall cost from a broad level, you know, we hear people say, well, Medicare for All would cost, let's say, $34 trillion, and that sounds like a lot of money for 10 years until you look at uh, $32 trillion, until you look at the current trajectory, which is more expensive, a bigger number than 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 that. So really, there yeah. are there are literally hundreds of economists who have said yes, we can afford it. Yeah. And it's not a mystery why we can afford it. We spend a lot of money advertising on TV. We spend a lot of money um, doing with call centers and data processing that's designed to get in the way of healthcare. Literally, thirty four percent of what we spend on healthcare today. Is only it, it's only related to having all these insurance companies. So, so, so a lot of our healthcare dollars go toward advertisements for the health insurance industry, for lawyers to try to find ways to not pay your bills, things right. like that. Right. Yeah. So, from a broad economic basis, of course we could afford to. Uh, from an individual basis, can we afford to do it? Well, most most economists have also said that people making up to roughly four hundred thousand dollars a year. That's more than I make. People making more than four up to four hundred thousand dollars a year would pay less in the tax increase than they would save from not having to pay a premium or a copay or deductible. So mm-hmm. we think of it as you know, oh my gosh, you're talking about a tax program. Well, yes, of course we are. It's a public program, but people should view their health insurance premium as a tax too, a hidden tax. The average family now pays more than twenty thousand dollars a year on a health insurance premium between them and their employer. Yeah. So we're spending a fortune, and there's no reason we have to spend that much and yet not get what we what we want. Yeah. So so if the economists are correct about this, then uh, then with Medicare for all, we'll overall be paying less. I guess we we still have we still hear the argument. Oh my gosh, that's going to cost so much. How are we going to afford it? But in some ways, that's sort of like someone saying, you know, oh, I can I can change your phone bill from 150 a month to 90 dollars a month. And someone says, but I can't afford $90 a month. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. You know, exactly. it's kind of like that. That's a really good metaphor. It's yeah. kind of like that. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of like that. So, yes, we can afford it. And in terms of the, the quality, we have to understand that today's healthcare system is designed for short-term profits. You know, if you wanted to do a program, uh, I, I have tried to get insurance companies to do programs to prevent heart disease or to yes. prevent cancer or to do various other things like that. I've tried working within the industry to get programs to prevent heart disease. And the answer I get from inside the industry is, well, how long will that take? And I said, well, probably five or 10 years to prevent, to really kick in and prevent heart attacks. And they said, well, you do know that people change insurance every 18 months in the United States. On right. average, people leave their insurance company every 18 months these days. Yeah. So if you want to put in a program to improve our health, you want us to spend money, we the insurance companies, to improve the health. Well, we would make a healthier population for our competitors and we would absorb the cost of that. So the insurance industry today makes it so that long-term investments in our population's health and our community's health are are against the rules. It's yeah. it's, it's a bad thing to try to do that. And, and our health insurance companies have a have a responsibility to be profitable. So yeah. because they have a responsibility to be profitable, part of being profitable is uh, not taking care of people. Right. Arguably. Well, and I see people all the. I volunteer at a safety net clinic. Uh, just. I go there for free, and I see people typically who don't have insurance. And I saw somebody yesterday who needed to get a test done, and she was 64, and she was struggling to get the test approved by her insurance. She happened to have some insurance. Yeah. Some of my folks do. And they were saying, no, 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 no. And she said she'll wait till she's 65. Wow. 
when she gets Medicare. Right. Because traditional Medicare doesn't do that to yeah. you. Medicare Advantage does. Yes. But traditional Medicare almost never does that to anybody. So what was going on is the insurance company was dragging their feet yes. to wait for the person to get Medicare. Yes. Th- th- and hoping that, yeah. And right. Who might or might not live long enough to get Medicare. And that makes me pretty 65. angry. Yes. I, hate, I hate seeing that. Yes. I think f- physicians all share that, all share that anger. So what was, I was trying to remember, what, what was the guy's, what were, what were the other points the caller wanted us to address? And he was concerned about the quality, that we're, that we're, that there's the cost issue, but what about improving health care? Yeah. And that's sort of where we were heading with this part of the discussion was we'd finally have a business case to make health better for people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you did something to improve health care today and it took five or ten years to pay off, we would ben- all benefit from that. So, But more practically, Medicare for All would cover prescription drugs with no copays. Mm-hmm. Pharmacy costs could be negotiated by the federal government, and we could actually get lower cost of prescription drugs. And individuals wouldn't have to trade off paying for their insulin versus paying for their rent. So it would improve that. It would cover everything that was medically necessary. Medicare for all would mean everybody in the country would be able to get eyeglasses if they need them or hearing aids if they need them or, or go to a dentist. It's amazing how many Americans don't go to a dentist because they simply can't afford to. Yes. Something on the order of a quarter or a third of seniors in some areas don't have any teeth because they've never gotten to a doctor. Yeah. Matt just called, and oh. we're almost out of time for the segment, but he wanted to know one of the arguments against this is uh, quality of health care and long wait times. That's what he's concerned about because that's one of the arguments you hear about this. Yeah, yeah, good questions. So um, wait times in Canada are an issue because they pay half of what we pay today, so they do have an issue with that. But wait times in Canada are only for things that aren't, Urgent. So like eight, a hip replacement. Like a hip replacement. You have to wait six months because eight, it's, a, it's elective. Eighty percent of Canadians wait less than four months for okay. elective surgery. Eighty percent of Canadians wait less than four months for elective surgery. And we frankly have no idea how long the waiting list is in the United States because if you call some doctor's uh, offices for an appointment, the first question is what type of insurance do you have, not what's your name. <laughs> and so if you have um, some kinds of insurance, you you may have a, a one-year waiting uh, to get in to see that doctor because that's as many of that insurance as they'll take. So we don't know what the waiting list is like here. But what we do know is that when we put in Medicare in 1965, when we put in Medicaid in 1965, when we put in um, um, the Affordable Care Act, even in states that expanded uh, Medicaid, when Canada went fully live with their Medicare for All program, when Taiwan went fully live, all around the world and certainly within the United States, we know that the two years before and the two years after, doctors saw the same number of patients. We just saw a little bit fewer of the not-so-sick, extra wealthy, and more of the sick folks because we drive that. But then there's also been surveys asking patients in the United States before and after the ACA in states that expanded Medicaid, so how hard was it to see a doctor? And guess what? It was the same. So we know that the waiting time does didn't change. We know that physicians were, were seeing the same number of patients, and we know patients didn't perceive a real change in access to health care. So I, we don't have to worry, but we, ha- we have the resources. Plus, doctors today spend easily half of our time not seeing patients, and we could change that. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think most physicians would agree that the, the harassment we get from Medicare is much smaller than the harassment we get from private insurance companies. Absolutely. You know, there's actually, people think of government as being bureaucratic, but in this case, not so much. So, we'll be back. In just a few moments. Hey, we're back. This is High on Health 97.1. We're talking about uh, we're talking about the debate surrounding Medicare for All. And we're having a 
calm, rational, non-crazy, non-stupid discussion of Medicare for All. And boy, have our phone lines lit up today. <laughs> A lot. I, I guess I should have known. Should have known that was should have known that was coming. But they've all you had, had other good things questions. planned. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. But they all had good questions. And uh, so, uh, so Carl, the guy on the soundboard, he uh, he got a call from Robert. Robert's on the line. Robert works for the government, and yeah. he believes that yeah. government. No, but he yeah. says this is a fact. He's like, uh-huh. this is not a talking point. He said this is a fact that uh-huh. government is hampering uh, the progress and bringing healthcare costs up. If it wasn't for government, if there could be cross state lines insurance uh-huh. that health prices would go down so okay so so he said and I, I think government heard, is yeah. the reason yeah health care is so expensive right now and uh-huh. if you if you do medicare for all that's just letting the federal government take over health care right so so his his argument and I, I can see i can see what he's saying that we want less government not more and that the what, what the government is currently doing is driving up health care costs and and he says that's because uh the government, government is not doesn't letting, handle anything well Sure. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and also because they're not allowing cross state. Right. You have to, and there's no there's no free market. Yeah. Okay. So well, that's that's a tough one. But so what do you uh, think? So full disclosure, two things to that you should know about me. Uh-huh. First is I'm actually a capitalist. I had a retail business for a decade. I'm a capitalist. Uh-huh. So so I believe in the free market. Yeah. Me too. The, uh, the second thing that you should know about me is I'm a fiercely proud patriot of the United States. Yeah. And so when I hear someone say that the government can't ever do anything right, that frankly is offensive to me because I am a fierce believer that the government in the United States is a tremendous place yes. with some problems which we need to address. But yeah. to say that our government can't do something right. Is offensive to me. Yeah. Now, within healthcare, you know, I believe that the way we've used the free market in healthcare, which is what Robert's getting to, is that we have, frankly, allowed industry to take that over in a way that doesn't help us. So today, I'm competing against other doctors for the most lucrative insurance contract, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't change if you let um, insurance companies compete across state lines. That doesn't affect that. I'd still be competing against other doctors to get the most lucrative insurance contract. Whereas tomorrow, under Medicare for All, I hope tomorrow, <laughs> under Medicare for All, what kind of insurance you have wouldn't affect me, and instead I would be competing against other doctors to make you want to come see me. Yes. Of course, today if I can find an insurance contract that pays me $5 more per patient, um, I'm going to have to find the 100 patients for whom I don't get paid that much and get them out of my practice because I'm working retail, and I've got to assess what you're worth economically to me before I let you in my door. Yeah. That's not a good use of the market. Interstate insurance offerings doesn't in any way address that. Instead, what you have would be a race to the bottom where insurance companies would do even more games than they do today, and they'd figure out ways to cover even less things than they do, and people wouldn't discover that. They'd buy the cheapest insurance product that they could, and they wouldn't discover how crummy that insurance is until they got sick. Right. And then it would be too late, and they'd have bankruptcy issues. So we do know what we want insurance to cover. We do know what a good insurance product would look like, that's what everybody in the country should have. And to make the insurance companies compete, they'd be competing to offer less expensive but lower quality insurance. We should get rid of all that. Yeah. And most of what we spend on healthcare is to prop up that competition. That's crazy. Let's spend our money on healthcare, not on insurance. Yeah. 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 And I guess and I guess part of that is and I think this is a common misunderstanding of Medicare for all. If if we did have Medicare for all, uh, for the most part uh, the doctor who sees you is still a small business owner. Right. Uh, and uh, the private practice you go to is still a private practice. 
It's just the the payer is all Medicare instead of private insurances. Just like just like your private doctor now has a lot of Medicare patients already. Yeah. Now it'll be every Medicare patient. Every patient could be Medicare. And also, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that is that and tell me if this statistic is right, but uh, each physician pays about one hundred thousand per year just in dealing with the craziness of private insurance companies. I know I've I also you know had a uh, had a medical practice that I built up myself and, and every bit of capitalist. And that was part of my expenses was about a hundred thousand a year in hiring extra staff and hiring billing and collections just for that extra blah 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 uh, that goes with the craziness of of the private health care plans and uh, really much much less so with Medicare. Wouldn't you rather be spending having staff that are helping people remember how to take their medications or helping them you know deal with their home health concerns? There's so much health care that we don't do in the United States that mm-hmm. other countries do that makes the population healthier that we just don't get to yeah. because we spend so much money on stuff that's just designed for the corporate practice of medicine. It's, yeah. We shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like 100000 a year per physician just going straight into the, straight into the fire. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd rather take that $100,000 and buy a cool car yeah. or something yeah. like that, you know, right. or maybe save it up. I don't know. <laughs> well, the point though is, you know, that you, that we, that hundred thousand dollars a year you pay is built into the fee schedules yes. that people have to pay their premiums for. Right. right. So if you if you do, if you have a hundred thousand dollars a year that doctors don't have to be paid, and I'm not saying that we should cut physician salaries, but I'm saying yeah. that's money that we're wasting. And where does that money come from? It comes from insurance premiums. And where does that come from? It comes from the hourly wages that people don't make because right. their employer has to take the what should be their wages. And divert them into paying for these crazy expensive premiums. Yeah, yeah. So the country would be be better off economically than by blowing it up the way we're doing with 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 wasting our money on insurance. Right. So if so if the if if the argument is correct, then uh, it'll cost less than what we're currently doing, and we would have coverage for a lot of stuff that we don't currently have coverage for. I, I think I think one thing people might be wondering is. Uh, and maybe different people have different proposals, but if we did this, who would be covered? Would it be every citizen or everyone who lives here or everyone in our borders? Um, who, so would, both, who would be covered? Who would be not covered? So there are two bills, one in the House and one in the, one in the Senate, and both bills say the same thing, all residents. So not all visitors. You can't mm-hmm. run across the border and then spend two months in the Mayo Clinic. Not all visitors, right. but all everybody who resides here. And that's really important. It's not a citizenship requirement, and it's really important because when I'm on the bus, when I'm in the restaurant, if somebody has tuberculosis and has to decide that they can't go to the doctor because they can't afford the visit or they have coronavirus and they can't go to the doctor, I'm at risk if you're not healthy. So it's really important that the whole country be included in this. And there's a lot of reasons that makes economic sense. Um, But I think of it more the sense of if your kidneys stop working and you have to go on dialysis or die... As a country, we've decided if you have to go on dialysis or you're going to die, that's a reason that Medicare should pay for that. So Medicare today pays for dialysis. Yes. Well, if I'm going to pay eighty or $90,000 a year to give you dialysis, I would rather spend a few hundred dollars a year to buy you insulin or to buy you your blood pressure pills yeah. and then prevent your need for dialysis by a few years. If you think somebody on dialysis should die if they can't afford dialysis at eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year, well... We just have to disagree. But if you think yeah. we should pay for dialysis, 
Yeah. Well, then just be prudent about it and let's try to prevent the need for dialysis. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, and I, I think that is something people disagree on, but I think, I think most physicians would agree that we don't, we don't want people to simply have to die because they don't have enough money. I saw somebody about, about a month ago now in one of the places where I volunteer. She's about 55 years old. She has unstaged emphysema, mm-hmm. uh, and she came in quite short of breath. She's sitting in the chair quite short of breath. And I don't know if you've ever seen, you probably have, Steve, but yeah. somebody who's that short of breath, it's like you've tipped back in your chair, and you've tipped back a little bit too far, and, oh, my God, the chair's about to fall over, and yeah. you rescue yourself. Yeah. She feels like that all the time. Oh, yeah. And I said to her, well, where's your oxygen? And she said to me, I can't afford oxygen anymore. Wow. So I saw someone, a human being in the United States of America, who literally can't afford to breathe. Wow. And that's just, you know, that's not acceptable. That's that's, That's not acceptable. That's just wrong. Yeah. I I think, I I know they've taken polls of physicians, and I think, uh, I'm biased on this, but I think physicians should make all these decisions. (laughs) I think. Uh, Okay, I exaggerated, but I think physicians are in a good situation to know how things work and how it is that maybe we can make health care work better. And I, I know physicians are also divided on, uh, on Medicare for All. I think most physicians want some kind of universal health care, some way to make sure everybody's covered. And I know, didn't some major physicians organization recently give an official endorsement of Medicare for All, the American College of what yeah. was it? The American, can you tell the, the, us about that? Yeah, so there's three three points. First yeah. is that 60% of physicians want Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. 60%. So it's not a minority view. It's actually yeah. the majority. And Sec- we're not all hippie liberals. Yeah, yeah, it's not a hippie liberal group. Right. This, the, second, the second piece is what you just brought up, which is the American College of Physicians, the ACP. Yeah. This is the organization of all the internal medicine doctors in the country. Mm-hmm. It's probably, it's one of the, the largest such groups. Yeah. And they just about two months ago now, it is, came out and said that, yes, actually, Medicare for All is one of the two ways we simply have to go forward and we can't stay the course. Right. Medicare for All is one of the two ways we must go forward. So that's a pretty influential, thoughtful group. Then the, the third piece is the American Medical Association mm-hmm. uh, has long been an opponent of Medicare for All, but due to increasing activism by the medical students around our country, the American Medical Association recently pulled out of um, one of the uh, PACs that, that uh, opposes Medicare for All. Really? And they were actually really? almost going to endorse Medicare for All, but that failed on the on the House of Delegates at the Medic- American Medical oh. Association by a vote of 53 to 47. Did it really? Not by a 90-10 vote, wow. but the AMA, even the AMA, which is hardly yeah. the, you know, the staunch voice of progressivism, even yeah. the AMA is, is getting closer and closer to this point of view. So we have yeah. to do this, and, and it just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so 60% of physicians... Yep. Yeah, that's something. All right. Interesting. Well, hey, th- this has been a fascinating discussion. We're, uh, we're going to go out for break for a little while. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some other things. We're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about the coronavirus, because that's what everybody wants to know about. And we're also going to talk about a uh, something that does not cure coronavirus. So to find out about coronavirus and something that doesn't cure it, tune in. This is the Ion Health Show. So we're all taking a breather and recovering from our intense discussion of Medicare for All. Uh, we still have Dr. Ed Weisbart here with us, and we've got Carl on the board, and we're talking about another topic now. We're going to be talking about the coronavirus outbreak. That's what everybody's uh, getting all excited about, and uh, 
We're not, not totally without good reason. Uh, here's a summary of how things have been going recently. Um, as you know, the outbreak is still, it's still mostly in China. The vast majority of people who have uh, the virus are in China. It began in the, in the area of Wuhan, which is a city of 11 million people. Uh, right now, outside of China, outside of China, there's about 4,500 cases of confirmed coronavirus and a total of 67 deaths. Uh, the biggest outbreaks outside of China are uh, in, in that one ship, the Diamond Princess cruise ship. If you, if, you, if you thought of that as a country, that would be one of the top countries uh, that have been affected. And also South Korea and Italy, and also uh, an outbreak in Iran as well. Um, I think there's, there's been some controversy regarding uh, how much how much this thing's going to get passed around and what the fatality rate is. It looks like a uh, fatality rate outside of China looks like it's a little less than 1%, uh, but those are based on some uncertain numbers because we assume there are probably people who are infected that we don't know if they're infected, so it's hard to know if we're counting things correctly. So so that less than 1% figure is uh, has some uncertainty to it. Um, Another topic that's come up is um, is uh, and 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 get this. So there's silver colloid solutions. There are solutions that have tiny uh, particles of silver in them. Uh, silver colloid solutions or solutions with silver in it do have some legitimate purposes as uh, in bandaging and antibiotic uh, you know antibiotic ointments and things like that. Silver colloid solutions. Do not cure coronavirus, in spite of what some people are starting to claim, and really ingested, you know, like silver colloid solution that you drink or you inject or anything like that, they have zero known value for anything. And in fact, they can occasionally do bad things to you, but they have uh, zero benefit. Uh, so one one place where this recently came up is that uh, I, I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the televangelist Jim Baker, uh, Jim Baker, the, the same Jim Baker who went to prison for uh, fraud in, the I think, the early 1990s. Now he's been selling silver colloid solution on his show. Uh, he had claimed that it cures HIV, cures all venereal diseases, and uh, now that coronavirus is out, you know, right on cue, he's claiming that it cures coronavirus uh, with no evidence of that. So the, the Center for Science and the Public Interest has submitted a complaint to the FDA and uh, to the Federal Trade Commission, uh, hoping that they can squash that. And uh, I'm rooting for the, Center, for the Center for Science and the Public Interest, because so long as this is a fraudulent treatment, we're going to have people hurting themselves with uh, the silver colloid solution, uh, wasting their money, sending their money to a fraudster, and uh, also possibly staying away from uh, from legitimate uh, from legitimate treatment. So um, I say I say go get them, go get them. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the update. Um, I think the uh, the whole outbreak of coronavirus also brings up some issues surrounding public health care. Where where now we have a situation where. Uh, if there's somebody in the same room with you who's sick, you kind of want them to see a doctor. So we can kind of kind of loop back. Does that kind of loop back to the Medicare for all thing in some way? Yeah, I know we kind of migrated away with these two uh, things you brought up. But yeah. indeed, you know, if somebody's coughing and hacking up stuff and sick, 
not just because of coronavirus, but certainly even more so now, if anything, we want to know that, if, that you can go to the doctor when you want to and not have to think about whether or not that's going to affect your mortgage payment or your rent or right. your kid's food. Yeah. And, and in terms of the, the silver collet, if I could go down that for just a second, yeah. you know, there's that's one, I think, pretty crazy example. But there's lots of things out there that are not well proven and are not well studied. And a Medicare for all solution would mean that if you could actually prove that the thing that you've done is an alternative complementary medicine piece, if you can prove that it works, well, that would mean that we would probably want to have the country cover it as a part right. of insurance for everybody in the country. Yes. Today, the insurance companies want to not cover anything that they can get away from. But if you have an effective proven treatment, um, there's no better solution to get the whole country able to have it than with Medicare for all. Yeah, yeah. So if things actually work, then it would be covered. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so thank you. So, hey, we're uh, we're getting close. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. Um, yeah, we we uh, we're gonna be uh, the show is gonna be changing. It's gonna be the same great show, uh, the same great guests, uh, the same time slot, but it's changing its name. So uh, today is gonna be the last day. Uh, that we're calling ourselves Eye on Health. Um, starting next week, we're going to be uh, the Medical Beat. It'll still be 97.1. It'll still be 10 to 11 a.m. And we're going to have Ed Weisbart back. And it's uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be awesome. And we'll have all sorts of we'll have all sorts of good guests here on the show. So that was good. Hey, so we have a few moments left here. Let's pick on Carl. Oh, we have 30 seconds left, so uh, let's say left. goodbye to everyone. Can I make one pitch? Go, yeah. to, go to showmemedicareforall.org. Showmemedicareforall.org. Aha! Show me Medicare for All. What's that? Show me Medicare for All. Showmemedicareforall.org. Okay. Hey, good good pitch there. Good pitch. Yeah. So we, we like to bring up controversial topics. I know this counts as controversial. Have a great day. Get more at 971talk.com.